Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Kevin Charity, and this is the third episode of Bound for Disappointment. Just doing a quick little intro as we get into this. Uh, this is a Padres-related episode. If you like it, uh, please subscribe on any of the major podcasting forms. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. And I hope you enjoy it. It is the third episode of Bound for Disappointment. We talk sports, we talk music, we talk whatever we want. My name is Kevin Charity in San Diego, live coming to you. Uh, What is today's date? November 20th, 21st? Uh, 21st. 21st with Mark Wilkins in, where the hell do you live? Phoenix? Phoenix. I'm in the city limits. Value the sun. You have a Phoenix zip code. You have the, does Phoenix have like, like how San Diego, like if you're a 921, you start with 921, you're in the San Diego area. Does Phoenix have like a area or zip code like that they're they're almost all 850 here as far as i've seen so interesting i'm, I'm not sure i'm not sure the zip codes work that way we're an area code fight like la or new york yeah well san diego kind of is i mean you go coastal it's 858 but um we don't talk about those people <laughs> um well like because how it is in san diego and that's the joke i used to make because i lived in san carlos for a while which if you look at it geographically it is east county because it's touching El Cajon on one side it's touching CNT on another and it's touching La Mesa it's like right there in like the four corners of I mean you know it's like you spread your legs a certain way you're in four different east county cities but what my argument was is San Carlos in that Lake Murray area whatever you want to call it, has a 921 zip code so it's a city it's a it's a city San Diego thing so like when the election happened a couple of years ago for soccer city and the Aztec Stadium, I was able to vote for it. So, because I was in that city limits before I moved now, I live in Pacific Beach. But, um, so I used to always say, well, that's even though I live like basically in the middle of East County, it's not really East County. So, that's my. That's, uh, San Carlos is where my grandmother lived, and that's where I lived the first year of my life. So, I spent a lot of time over there. Yeah. I, being a kid, I assumed that it was a whole other town because it is very East County, but I get to tell people, like, grew up briefly in san diego so there's that exactly because it's not technically east county i mean it's just kind of like the whole poway thing and to me i I, it's kind of become a bit at this point but i truly believe that that poway is east county like i will fight i will fight anybody with that i argue with people about it all the time and it's great um that's that's topic for another time uh let me kind of set things up what we want to talk about today and the last episode we did we we actually did it i believe it was the night of the world series the final game in game was it game six that went? We went six, right? Yes, I, that was. Uh, shows you how how interested I was in that series. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, <laughs> we started we started taping as the uh, Justin Turner news broke that he was uh, patient zero out on the field. <laughs> yeah, Justin Turner. I mean, Major League Baseball went what like 50, 50 games or whatever it was without having a positive case in the last game of the year dude gets COVID and, and just starts spreading around and everybody's like, cool, just bring it on. Like, Hey, sit next to this cancer patient. It's all good. Um, we don't need to rehash that, but we, you know, we, we want to talk about today is, you know, there's every week um, or every time that we recorded this, there's been some type of pod raising news, which has been good. Um, what we talked about from this, from the beginning of this is the first time you're listening to this is we are going to be a very Padres heavy type of podcast. Um, we're both Padres fans. So you're going to get a lot of Padres. It's not going to be solely Padres. Um, so we're going to talk about 
the, the moves that happened, the Clevenger news, obviously. None of this is rehashing. We're not breaking news here. We just kind of give our own perspective, break it down. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about college football. Um, why is college football happening? Like, I just, I'm, I, I kind of want to vent about that a little bit. It's very frustrating. This is the strangest season probably in the history of college football, at least in, the, in modern times. Um, I don't go back to the, uh, the leather, playing, leather helmet playing days, but maybe John Conniff can join us as a guest one week for some perspective on that. Um, and then I also want to talk about kind of the affiliations with minor league baseball. That's kind of coming into focus a little bit as we transition. We're getting pushing towards December. Um, so those are kind of the things we want to talk about. And then what we do is we kind of end everything with kind of music segment. And we talk about uh, Mark and I every week swap albums or every episode swap albums where I pick an album that I like. He picks an album that he likes and we listen to that person's album and then we kind of make fun of it and tell each other how much we think the other album sucks. At least that's kind of happened a little bit. Not really, because most of the stuff you've given me, I haven't hated. Like, surprisingly, I thought I'd hate it more than I did. Trying really hard to give you things you don't hate. Yeah, and I think it's cool. Because like, I'm, like, I'm one of those people, like, I'm not like... Um, I'm not anti anything. Like I'll try it. Like I'll tell you, like if it's food, like I'll, I'll try this food. I probably won't like it, but I'll, I'll give it at least one try, like one bite. Like I'll, 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 unless it's something like really gross, like, like Baloo or something really nasty where I'm eating like, you know, a weird part of an animal, but you know, I'll, I'll try anything just about once. So, um, and also we kind of, this isn't, we have actually have a hockey story. It's kind of an older story. Um, it actually kind of broke a couple of weeks ago, but I don't really feel like it was really a, what I would call a mainstream story. And I think it has some importance. So um, the last time we did this, we went pretty long. So we may actually take this episode and split it into two. So maybe that's the better way to go. I mean, how do you feel with longer podcasts? I mean, I personally don't care, but what are your thoughts? Generally, I like them, but I tend to... Um... I don't devote a lot of time overall to podcasts, so I tend to pick ones that I already know I really like. So that's kind of a, a bias. Yeah, it's just I mean, there, there's some podcasts that are like 25 or 30 minutes, and I feel like that's too short. But then, like, I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but like every now and then he'll have a guest on. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll actually try to listen to it this time. And some of these like episodes are like three hours, and then um, I like heavy metal music and uh rob flynn who's the singer of the of a band called machine head that's fairly popular he started a podcast and he's had some pretty good guests and i'm like okay like i'll listen to that like and his interviews are pretty good like he's it's not horrible to listen to but some of his episodes are like and there's ads in there and stuff but it's like three hours and 15 minutes it's like holy shit like i can't listen to three hours of like of an interview with one person i just i don't know how compelling that would be i don't know I never do that. Uh, my main podcasts, other than some of our beloved Padres podcasts, um, I listen to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And that, that's usually about an hour. Um, I didn't even realize he had a podcast. It's pretty awesome. I'm a fan. Um, and then uh, I listen to the Dale Jr. Download, for those of you NASCAR fans like myself. And that's another one that's about an hour. NASCAR. I would... First year of my life in East County, Kevin. What can I tell I'm you? from East County, and I don't even do NASCAR. <laughs> but all right. I mean, most of the ones I listen to, are, I, I actually tend to go more towards like music podcasts. Um, 
you know, in some sports podcasts um, here and there, but I, I, I've kind of grown out of the, um, the hot take podcast where people, it's like those, those, those ESPN shows they have, or like the one that's on a, uh, on Fox, Fox with a, is it that Fox has a skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp one where they just, they have a show for three hours and they just argue. And they, it's like, and Shannon Sharp is, is fine. Like, I think he's actually pretty decent. But Skip Bayless just tries to throw as much shit against the walls as it will stick. And he just tries to say outlandish things because it turns into a soundbite. And those types of things, I don't, I don't like at all. No, that's very 10, 15 years ago for me. But yeah, Skip Bayless, his net worth is derived from yeah. throwing shit at walls. It's very painful. Yeah, and it's like one of those things where like I'm like, could I do that? Like, could could I find a way to say these? And I'm like, I don't I'm not saying I have the my I have great opinions or anything, but like I don't really feel like I could be comfortable with like just saying crazy, stupid things that like piss people off in order to like turn that to parlay that into like a career. And I, I don't know what he makes a year. He's probably pulling in a few million, I would I would guess. And uh, I I don't know, man. I he's, I couldn't do it. He's one of the last ones that is really pulling in money, and he, he used to be a pretty good writer, and he, like you said, he parlayed that into a career of just saying whatever he wants yeah. to get, get engagement. Yeah, I mean, I guess bad attention is better than no attention, so whatever. <clears throat> what we wanted to get into today, though, is we wanted to kind of lead with, like, the Padres' um, offseason, and um, it's been kind of a very tumultuous offseason so far, and the ironic part is there really hasn't been very many personnel moves. Usually when you think of a tumultuous offseason, you think of a fire cell or guys that you like signing elsewhere. And the Padres haven't really lost anybody off their roster. But if we go back and we kind of recap where things have been since, since the end of October, I mean, we had the Tommy Pham stabbing, which we went into and his attempted murderer is still loose. Um, but we got Pimp Lord six one nine on the case. He's going to try to try to track him down, and I feel much comfortable knowing that there's uh, somebody's got their you know their their ears to the pavement. We'll try to figure out uh, who tried to murder Tommy Pham. You had a <laughs> what's up? Jeremy's out there getting swole so he can go uh, fight this he's, assailant. He's going to need to. I mean, that. we we need. I mean, I don't. And the thing with, with that with that whole story too is like they don't even have it like they had part of it on camera. It's like, they can't find that guy. Like, I mean, they've, you know, some guy will leave half of a hair in a car like six years ago. And on these forensic file shows, they'll find the link to the killer. And like Tommy fam gets right. stabbed and they have cameras out there and nobody can find this guy's, you know? Well, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as connected to the San Diego media, the people who live there, but just from Twitter and everything, I, I see a lot. I feel like I haven't even seen a composite or anything of, of these. Things. No, I mean it's it's bizarre. Like I I don't I don't want to speculate on anything. It's just like, I mean it's a pretty. I mean if I were if I was a detective for a cop or a detective for a cop, if I was a detective for the police force, I'd be like, okay, like this guy stabbed a padre. This is a pretty pretty big deal. I mean, yeah, he's okay. He's he shook it off, but like, it's not every day that a major league you know a major league baseball player gets stabbed. You think it would be we would hear more about them trying to find who did this, but maybe they are. I, I don't know. It's not, it's not probably fair to speculate, but then we moved to that and we have the least Luis Campisano, which I think we were going to talk about last time when we didn't, we're not again, we don't need to get into to full detail of that, 
but he got caught with um what was it, like three ounces of marijuana they 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 got him on the intent to distribute in Georgia different rules in California it's probably a misdemeanor because of the amount one could argue that a and what I've been told is that it's a like garbage bag full or not a garbage bag, but like a, one of those like really big Ziploc bags full of marijuana. Garbage yeah. Bag. Garbage bag would, would be intent to distribute. I mean, we're going to leaf bag your house. Yeah. It's like those are just long tr- trimmings, sir. Like, but um, you know, he got popped for that and we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I would think that he's going to lawyer up and maybe get a slap on the wrist. I don't know if he's going to get suspended. Does that factor into his potential, uh, to make the big club next year. It's obviously something that the, the organization would probably rather not deal with. I mean, I don't know where you stand on that. It's, it's marijuana. In my opinion, it's probably not going to be something where he's intending to distribute that. Um, it's probably, I mean, maybe it's, he's in Georgia. It's probably not. Cause I mean, see in, in California, it's, it's, it's very easy to buy marijuana. Like you can walk into any dispensary and just give me, give me one marijuana, please. And, you know, you can get it and they have it in all kinds of different forms. But in, I would imagine in Georgia where it's not legal, he probably has to like have a plug to get it. And maybe he was just stocking up for the winter. I mean, I don't know, but I don't, you know, just a very, again, this, this, this whole off season has been tumultuous. And I think the worst news of it all was what we got the other day with the Padres announcing that, presumed ace Mike Clevenger and you can call him ace with the Nelson Lamette, whoever your you know, your ace of choices, ace of base. Um, both these guys were really being dependent upon to lead the staff. And Clevenger was like that big, I, for me, like when they made that trade, it felt like it felt very, there's some parallels to the Kevin Brown move uh, where they brought in. This is like, wow, we really needed this front, this horse, at the front of the staff that we know they can give us 200 innings or close to it, you know, pitching at an elite level. And he goes down with Tommy John surgery out for the year next year. So we'll see you in 2022, hopefully um, when that came off. And, and, and I think the part that kind of really rubbed people the wrong way was how it's announced because we had been hearing, there had been things that were being reported by the media that they're the Padres were going to buy out the last two years of his arbitration because he has two years of control and you're thinking, okay, like not a bad move, like give yourself some cost certainty, but you're not buying out any any of the free agent years. And we had no idea. We're assuming at this point, I mean, depending on how pessimistic you are, that he's healthy. And then it turns into, Hey, we signed him to an extension. Oh yeah. By the way, he's going to have Tommy John surgery. And we all know what that means. Yeah. I mean, call me a sucker because I should know better with this front office, but I, I took the talk of extending past you know through the arbitration years as a sign that they were pretty confident that he was going to be at least good to go at some point in the year. And they had been speaking to uh, to that kind of truth that you know he, he's going to throw and we'll see where it goes. So there wasn't really, an indication. Now the, the Padres in this era are a little famous for this with pitchers, but it just felt like, okay, they're going to, they're extending him because it's a buyer's market and arbitration is going to be insane because it's so hard to value what players did last year. They're just going to get them through it and we'll see him in Peoria and everything will be hunky dory. And I got the notification and 
I was in a parking lot. I remember it so vividly. I was in a parking lot at a grocery store and I'm walking. I see a notification and there's not a lot of Padres news lately. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, well, you know, who got stabbed with bag, garbage bag of marijuana now? And, um, and, I, and it said, you know, the Padres have signed Mike Clevenger to a two-year extension, which we had just expected. They had just right. been talking about the days before. But you know when you're skimming something and it's way too yeah. long? It's way too many words. So I'm like, okay, there's more to this story because if they said, you know, two-year deal for however much – getting through his arbitration years, boom, it's over. No, this was like a paragraph. So I'm like, what else is in the paragraph? Oh, his arm fell off. Great. Okay. You know, good to know. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how you draft that up that way because, you know, it's burying the lead, right? Like the, the, the part that people are going to remember from that is Mike Trout or Mike Trout. Mike Clevenger is going to have Tommy John surgery. And we all know that that means that's a 12 to 18 month process where he is not going to be available. And so, you know, I assume the same thing that you did, even knowing this organization's history, that when they're talking about an extension, why would you extend a guy that's about to have his arm fall off essentially? And, you know, obviously Clevenger, even let's just say there was no extension. You're probably still going to tender this guy a contract because of, of who he is. Um, and, you know, you know that if you don't tender him a deal, that somebody's going to go out there and, and they're going to take him. And theoretically he can come back in 2022 and give you 140, 150 innings. I don't, I don't know what the limitations are going to be at that point. Maybe he's not going to be entirely healthy. Cause assuming he just had the surgery. Now you figure, when spring training comes around around March 1st is what we're hearing, you know, and they're still trying to get 162 games in, but we don't know. So by the time 2022 rolls around, you know, he should be at about 16 months at that point going into spring training and should theoretically be able to come in and contribute. And so what the deal essentially is, is he was projected to make about 6 million this year based on, you know, what, what experts, kind of analyze and, and have that at and they save some money on there which i guess if you're looking for a silver lining i mean i don't really know what that imp- what four million dollars impacts but he's you're going to save four million on him because you're only going to pay him two million you're going to defer three million of that into a signing bonus and pay that didn't really specify when that was going to be deferred to but at least not in 2021 and then next year he's or yeah in 2022 he's relatively affordable as well. So I think he's going to make 6 million, I believe was the amount that I saw. I could be wrong on that, but you know, you kind of have a little bit of cost certainty in there, which I guess if you're looking at it as the positive, but um, it's, it's a devastating blow because when you look at the Padres, when they made that deal, I'm like, okay, like we have Clevenger, you have, you have Lamette and you have Davies in your rotation one through three. That's pretty dang good. And then you, if you can fix Paddock, if you can bring in some younger guys, okay, like this is a potentially very good, but a very deep, young and talented staff. And now you take Clevenger out of that. And I feel like the depth obviously goes down significantly, but I feel like the upside of the rotation is impacted by a little bit too, as well. Yeah, it's that trade. You, you, you compare it to Kevin Brown, which obviously was an off-season move. Yeah. Um, 
that trade was like something that we're just not used to mm-hmm. doing. I mean, going into the deadline and, and making the biggest trade um, and just that feeling when he first got on the mound and the only guy who had been in that same stratosphere was Lamette. And every, every series after Lamette, it was like, okay, Davies hopefully will do the same thing again. And he was remarkably consistent through that most of the season. But he's a different kind of pitcher. He's, you know, a little bit of smoke and mirrors and uh, just having another guy with that, that ace quality stuff. All of a sudden, you, you didn't fear the Dodgers as much. You definitely didn't fear the rest of the National League that much. It was a different team. And with the kids not really developing yet, it was a really good move for the top of that rotation before you, you can get those kids where you want them because the team's window is, is today. And this was, a, this was a move for today that was awesome. And um, now knowing you're going through an entire season without him uh, and you've already spent that capital, which at the time, I mean, they didn't make a dent in any – of the, the areas that we were no. worried about. We were worried that a trade was going to cost Patino. It was going to cost all kinds. Of, you saw all the mock offers on Twitter, which, you know, <laughs> take them a grain of salt. Everyone's saying that it's going to take one of Patino, Abrams, or Gore to make this thing happen. It took yeah. one of them. No, like when that trade broke, I remember it being very early in the morning and I was like half asleep. Um, kind of waking up, looking at my phone and it was like, it, it was breaking. I'm like, okay, well, my my initial my first initial thought was like there goes C.J. Abrams. I'm like, but oh, okay, fine. Like I can, I can live with that. And then you kind of start seeing the names that were involved, and it was like, okay, Joey Cantillo. Okay, I like Joey, but oh, you know, not he's probably the fifth or sixth best pitching prospect in the organization. Okay, fine. Gabriel Arias blocked. Go ahead and go ahead and get him out of here. That's fine too. And right. you know you caught you kept going. And then when it was Austin Hedges in there, then I started laughing. And then you and you discovered they really and Quantrill was the one guy that I was like, damn, I wish they wouldn't have traded Quantrill because I like him. Um, but when you look at like that deal, when it went down, I don't think that anybody, at least that I that I feel like, I never looked at that. I'm like, wow, this is such a one sided move. But I looked at it and I was like, wow, like okay, like we didn't have to give up. And I say we, I hate doing that. I don't know why I'm doing it. The Padres didn't have to give up any of their top five prospects. They gave up Quantrill, who you have depth, and you have to give something up to get something. You can't just trade spare parts. Like, would you want Quantrill or Lucchese in that deal? Well, yeah, if you're the Indians, you want Quantrill. Quantrill is at least showing that he can at least be a pretty good arm out of the bullpen, if not a a mid-rotation, the back-end starter. I think he's got way more upside than Joey Lucchese, obviously, whatever. You looked at Naylor, he's blocked. You looked at Owen Miller, he's blocked. You look at Gabriel Arias, blocked. So they didn't give up anybody of consequence, in my opinion, in that trade where you're like, I don't know if you remember 2015 very vividly or I don't know how, how much you were into the system. But that was like really, that was the first year I actually started writing for Bad Friars. And giving up Trey Turner was like, oh my God, it was like a punch to the gut when they had to give him up in that Will Myers deal. I'm like, I hate this. Like that was the one guy in the system. I'm like, trade anybody you want, but I'm like trade Renfro hedges and Joe Ross. who I think at that time were like the top prospects because I don't really consider myself a prospect hugger, but you got to identify who are the guys that are going to be the future and everybody that's not, doesn't fit in that trade. Them. Like that's how it should be. Right. And so when that all went down, um, 
I was pretty, I was pretty psyched. And obviously hindsight being 2020, that's the part I, I think for me that gets a little bit frustrating is that you have a lot of people and, and that's what Twitter is for. There are opinions, but now everybody's like, this is a bad trade. It's a horrible move. We shouldn't have done it. The, the organization shouldn't have done it. But I think, I, I, I think you have to kind of let that go and you have to kind of move forward. Yeah, it, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, like you said, and you, and you make a good point about trades. A lot of times, you see that people, a lot of people see trades as a zero sum game where you win them or lose them, and you want to just dominate your opponent yeah. in a trade. It, it one, it, it can't work that way, and it can't work that way because it's just not realistic. But it can't work that way because even if you go out there and you just keep fleecing people, well, people stop wanting to deal with you, and the. The Indians didn't get fleeced on this trade. The The Padres didn't give up any of the top pieces they didn't want to give up, but they gave up pieces that are going to be of far more value to Cleveland than they were going to be for yeah. the Padres. So that was cool. Um, it's a trade that will benefit – hopefully will benefit both organizations. You know, For the Padres, Clevenger has to get out there in a couple of years and, and get to 150 innings for it to really pay off. But um, – yeah, you, you go through the organization, you, you build up all this prospect capital, and like you said, you figure out who's going to fit, and whoever doesn't fit, you spend them, and you hopefully spend them well. And I think so far it's been good on who's gone and who hasn't. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you see people where it's, well, we traded all these great prospects for this, and it's like that is exactly what happens to to make a winning team happen. Yeah, and I think the Padres honestly got kind of lucky on that trade initially from a couple of reasons because Cleveland at that time was contending and obviously it's really, it's a, it's a very, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's unprecedented, but you don't really see a team that is in contention like that, make a move where they trade and attract a big time major league piece from their roster. And obviously the COVID thing happened. We don't need to rehash that it's over. It's done with, we need to, I don't, I don't really need to, to get into that. Right. But that is ultimately the reason why Mike Clevenger was available. If Mike Clevenger didn't break that protocol, the Indians aren't trading him. Conversely, if the Indians do trade him, they're tra- you know an average team or a normal team that has a guy a piece like Clevenger is going to want a lot more of that young talent that's further away. Where the Indians looked at this deal and like, okay, we need an outfielder, and Josh Naylor is, I guess, an outfielder. I mean. He resembles an outfielder. He can go. He can walk into the outfield and theoretically catch a fly ball and move a little bit. Whether you want to call him a true outfielder or not, that's up for debate. You, we get Cal Quantrill, who plugs right into our bullpen, but we can maybe move him into the rotation next year because, as you can see, they're they're kind of selling off a lot of pieces too. And you know, hey, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to sell Lindor off. So now we got Gabe Arias for 2021, 2022, and beyond. We're getting back Owen Miller, who's maybe a low end second baseman. I, I don't think he's going to be much more than like a platoon average, you know, like a, a friend, like a, like a Greg Garcia type. Like, I don't think he's going to be much more than that personally. I could be wrong. And then, you know, Cantillo is kind of the wild card in there where, Hey, maybe if this guy keeps adding and keeps getting stronger and maybe he becomes a, a mid rotation guy. And I think there might've been a six piece in there. Maybe there's, I don't know if I got it hedges, which I don't know why they even took hedges because they already had a couple of catchers that couldn't hit, and they added a third one, which makes no sense. But I, <laughs> was there anything? I mean, I love to fantasize that Hedges was the piece that put it over the top. Like they sat oh. there, and 
the deal the deal was hung up because it was announced like the day before the Padres were getting Clevenger, and then it like by some media people, then it kind of got dialed back. Like, hey, you know, hang on, this thing's still in the works. And I love to think that they're sitting there like, are you going to give us hedges or not? And they got hedges. Well, which wasn't there a report that came out that the initial deal was like four for one, where it was Arias, Cantillo, Naylor, uh, Quantrill, and then somebody came in and beat that offer. I don't know. They didn't really specify what team it was. And then the Potter's like, okay, we'll throw in Owen Miller and Hedges. Done. Wasn't that like the one of the reports yeah. that came out? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I'm pretty sure happened, which <laughs> the other the other team heard that they threw in Miller and Hedges and couldn't top it. But not only I mean, picking up Austin Hedges, I could see where it has some value if you're looking for a backup catcher who can just catch. He's but expensive. They had him he is expensive. He's an expensive backup and there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about him as a teammate, all the other stuff. I don't know. But not only do you bring in Austin Hedges, who's the worst hitter arguably in the history of baseball, like there are some metrics where if you have a qualifying number of at-bats, he's the worst non-pitcher to ever do it. Uh, he's a better you, hitter than Jeff Mathis. I mean, he he. I'll, I'll give him that one if Jeff Mathis is 500. I mean, there's been some bad hitters, but I think Jeff Mathis is actually yeah. worse. But, yeah. But you had to actually go find the name of who's worse. That that's telling you he's on the he's list. He's absolutely right? on the list. He's absolutely on the list. And the Indians bring him in for the last at bat of their entire season. <laughs> that was awesome. Like he comes. Like, I mean, like, that's like it. That's one of those questions. Like I've been in situations where I've asked questions to a manager. And if I were in that, and I've never asked anything where I I, I feel like I've asked good questions, but they're not like. Quant- or controversial questions that are going to get me yelled at but i'm like is there any scenario where like what is the logic behind having austin hedges hit for anybody who's not a pitcher and i, and I don't remember who he hit for i want to say he hit for tyler naquin 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 um I, I think that's what happened because it was a lefty lefty thing and he came in and now he's the righty but like i would rather yeah. take the crappiest left-handed hitter against the left-handed uh, pitcher than pinch hit for that person for Austin Hedges. Like I, I, I can't fathom no, that. No doubt. I like, mean, because <laughs> Hedges might give you that blind luck home run that he'll give you sometimes, but with two outs with the game on the line, that's not w- what you want to send no. up there. No, like, I mean, Hedges is what he is. I mean, I think Hedges is one of those guys and I think you can define what is a great big league career by a few different things. Obviously, and I think when I looking at some of these guys, you know, and I've been collecting a lot of baseball cards. Um, and so, and I really like the junk wax air just because it's cheap. And I, and it's just, it brings, it brings me joy, even though I'm not necessarily collecting because of value, but it's a lot of, it's, you go through and open these packs of cards and you look at some of these guys. I'm like, wow, that guy actually had a pretty good career. Like I remember saying he sucked, but like, wow, like he did, you know, he had, 1800 hits or whatever Austin Hedges is a guy that as as long as framing and defense are kind of uh as long as that's still important behind the play Austin Hedges is going to play 10 to 12 years in the big leagues he'll probably make 35 40 million dollars because he's going to be that guy that a team will sign for a million and a half two bucks two million bucks every year to be a backup catcher and honestly that's a pretty damn good career like I think any of us would sign up for that right now, right? 
But Austin Hedges should never be in a position where the game's on the line with with the bat in his hand, especially pinching for anybody. Like the fact that he was in that position is is, is hilarious, and you know we all saw what happened. He struck out, and that's the end of that. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's going back to kind of that trade. It's it's easy to 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 criticize the trade right now, and I and I don't think it's fair to because. The medicals at the time, I'm assuming, were clear. Now, I think the part where the organization does need to be scrutinized is what happened. Because he had that start against against the Angels. He left early. And what we're told is initially it's a forearm strain, which what we've learned over the years is the forearm strain can easily turn into Tommy John. We've, we've seen this yep. enough times to know. So... All of us that are Padres fans are super pessimistic of that. And so at, at that point in time, like where did it go from this is a, a strain that is something that's going to get better with rest. He threw a, a bullpen session that everything seemed fine. You know, Kevin AC was amazed by how much the glove was popping and be, glove was the popping, glove was baby. popping. So if the glove is popping, don't come a knocking, right? Everything's good. And it goes from that, and then we he goes out, gets ready, does all this preparation, gets a cortisone shot. The first inning against the Dodgers, his command looked a little off, but his stuff looked okay. Then he comes out in the second inning, and his, you start seeing the, the velocity on his pitches just start dropping. And then you're looking at his fastball. I think one of his fastballs is like 90-91 or something like that, and you're just sitting there like, oh, my God. And then he leaves, yeah. and like when he walked off the mound, I almost – like because I was an emotional wreck during the playoffs, that the whole playoff picture, it was way worse for St. Louis because I really wanted them to win that series. But that whole freaking time, I almost cried. Like, cause I'm like, this is just the luck. He, he's I'm like, he's, I just, he walked off the mound. I remember saying to my wife, I'm like, he's done. Like he's going to have Tommy John surgery. He's done. Like he's, we're, we, we just lost him. He's gone. And, um, I don't know how it goes from, He's fine. He needs rest. This is happening. And so it, it almost, to me, and maybe this is my pessimism taking over, but I have a really hard time believing anything that the organization reports about any type of injuries. It's almost like kind of fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's kind of the mentality that I think myself and a lot of other Padres fans and people that cover this team have taken. Yeah, it's it's comical at this point. I mean, you see on Twitter the, the famous uh, – Padres injury translator. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's at the point where every time a player comes up lame or winces or something, obviously you get nervous, you know, especially when it's a franchise player. And then, you know, they tell you the next day, you're like, oh, don't worry, he just had a strain. You're like, yeah, no, he didn't. Like, and you shouldn't feel that way about, about yeah. a team. You should be able to – you know, they're going to be wrong sometimes, but when they're wrong every time – and. I, my my fear with Clevenger is, would he need Tommy John if they had just shut him down? I don't we don't know. know that. And that's the question is like, I think with the way that baseball is these days, this isn't the 80s, you know, the 70s where guys just pitch through things. Um, and, I, and I think really the game changer with that is I think just with how hard these guys throws and how much just like, you know, how, how much – they have to work out to get to that far and how, and how they have to really do all these things to their arms to make it, make themselves be able to throw 95, 96 because of how good the hitters are. I think that's a big byproduct of why you see so much, 
so many injuries because guys are, are, are finding ways to throw harder and they're using every muscle in their body to be able to achieve that at maximum velocity, because that's just kind of what the game is at this point. And so that's a big byproduct in my opinion of why there's so many arm injuries is because these guys are trying to throw hard. And, you know, I think there's a limitation to how much, how hard the human body can throw. I mean, even Justin Verlander finally broke down and had Tommy John surgery after just being kind of the example of like, well, you can throw hard, you know, throw in the upper nineties and last, you know, I I think he's probably has thrown over 2000 innings in his career, I would assume. And so now it's kind of like, at what point, like, what is, what is the mileage on the, on this guy's arms? Like, does a guy like a Zach Davies become more in vogue because he can actually take the ball every fifth day, but he only throws in the, in the, you know, the high eighties. And that's kind of where I'm at with it is like, all these kids that throw so hard and you see like you, you can go in, into the Padres minor league system and there's been some impressive arms that have come up. Patino is one of them. At what point do we start seeing these guys break down? Like how do, how do they prevent these injuries? Like, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, but it's just very frustrating because Mike Clevenger was absolutely supposed to be like, one of the missing pieces that this team had. And now we're, we have a question of Denelson Lamette who supposedly was further behind Clevenger because he never even was talked about really throwing. There was like, a, there was like almost no chance of him throwing at all during the playoffs. And now somehow Denelson Lamette is the one that's fine. And Clement or Clevenger is the one that's had the Tommy John surgery. It almost makes me feel like what's going on with Lamette. Now they're saying that he's going to be able to resume his throwing program here in the next like coming weeks or so. But it's like, we don't know what we're going to get out from him either. Yeah. I mean, I think they were saying very first week of December, Lamette's going to throw and that's terrifying. (laughs) It's absolutely terrifying. I I really am. Because when they first came out with this this uh, this horrifying tweet from hell that we spent money on Mike Clevenger and by the way he's broken, um, the media obviously will turn the interviews to well what's wrong with the other ace on the staff the the main primary the guy who finished fourth in Cy Young voting what's wrong with him and they come out with well, he seems fine. He's going to start his throwing program. So we don't even know yet. We don't even know, like, like this announcement is even here yet. And that, that's like the worst thing you can hear. That That is like, you know, your heart, your heart broken that the, the pitcher you just traded for is broken. So you at least want the reassurance that no, Lamette threw the other day. Was it like, no, Lamette? No, we don't know, man. He, he's just been letting the swelling go down. What? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. And I think right now we're just conditioned to, to assume the worst that, and I hope I love Denelson Lamet. I, I think he's like he was. What was he? The fourth or fifth best, best pitch in the National League this year. If you factor in the Cy Young yeah. votes, like he was fantastic. Like every time he went out there, you know his his slider, his you know he's throwing ninety eight, ninety nine without a lot of effort. I mean, just mechanics look really clean. Just fantastic pitcher. And I just I, I like the way he carries himself. Like he just you go out there and you just look at him. He just kind of looks intimidating, just with his. You know, his facial expressions and he's just one of those guys. Like he just reminds me, he's, he's got like that bulldog in him. And I just, I love, I yeah. love watching the Nelson pitch. And so you can say, okay, fine. Denelson laments your number one next year. That's he's still, that's a damn good number one. But you know, you, you look at the rest of the rotation and we'll kind of get into in a few minutes, like how, what direction they can go, how they can fill that. Because I think going into this off season, I was like, okay, I think what you need is you need one starter. 
doesn't have to be a top of the rotation guy, but assuming Clevenger was healthy, we have you have Clevenger, you have uh, Lamette, and you have Davies. That's your one through three. You bring in a number four, and you kind of let everybody else figure out number five, whether that's Paddock and whomever. You know, take your combination of Patino, Gore, Weathers, uh, whoever else I'm missing. <clears throat> but now you look at the rest of it. I think you need to bring in two pitchers at this point and, and hope that Chris Paddock figures it out because you're going to need a lot more depth, but let's, let's kind of transition off that a little bit because there is some other Padres news and depending on, on how you feel, it may be a little bit surprising. So the Padres finalized their rule five, uh, full, rule five, uh, with a 40 man roster to prevent losing, losing players from the, from the, uh, rule five draft. And so they added three players to their roster, which were which were uh, none of the guys. Well, two of the guys to me were were no brainers, which was two Capito Marcano, infielder, and Reggie Lawson, another great young arm that has uh, succumbed to Tommy John surgery and should be back probably by midseason. The one name that was kind of a surprise was Mason Thompson, uh, who spent. 2019 mostly hurt was started in Lake Elsinore and looked a little bit rough. And then to make the extra space that they needed on the 40 men roster, they of course finally designated Luis Patini or Luis Perdomo, excuse me. Luis Perdomo was the one that was uh, designated for assignment uh, because again, he's having Tommy John surgery. His arbitration figure was projected to be about a million bucks probably not a guy you want to pay to rehab. Now they can maybe sign him to a minor league deal. Um, were there any moves, any surprises for there for you? Um, not really. I'm still kind of learning the, the, the full depths of the system. And I was, you know, I joined Mad Friars last year heading into this season and I was hoping to, you know, be able to spend that time to familiarize myself with the affiliates and learn about everyone there. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. So I kind of trust the process when it comes to the lower levels. But I was um, – so, you know, Perdomo getting DFA didn't, didn't really uh, – Not at all. I, I've heard a little bit about just, – just a little bit of debate on who would be that 40th man on the roster. But it, nothing, nothing shocked me, I guess. Yeah, I think the one surprise for me was Mason Thompson. Um, so kind of going back to, to Thompson, last year, or 2019, I guess is what we'll call it, um, he started the year in Lake Elsinore, and his numbers in uh, seven games, six starts, he's 0-5 with a 7.66 ERA. Um, the, the kind of concern there is that he gave up, tw- in 22 innings, he gave up 22 hits, but he walked 19 guys, um, struck out 22. Um, so when you kind of look at his career, um, he he hasn't really put anything together for a long stretch. Now, the intrigue with him is that he's really young, and he's supposedly in instructs, was really impressive, was throwing 96 to 99. Last year in spring, um, he was – when I got there, I went out and covered spring training for a weekend with Ben Davey. And that was right as minor league camp was opening. And he was one of the guys that you're hearing a lot of buzz about. Um, I didn't get to see him throw. Um, Cause I don't think he threw at any point in time we were there. He might've thrown a bullpen and we missed it. Um, but he's a guy that they drafted in the third round in 2016, big time stuff. Just 
hasn't been able to put it together with any, any consistency. The fact that they had a little bit of flexibility with the 40 man at this point in time doesn't make it a huge surprise to me. Um, like I said, Lawson, I think would have, I think Reggie Lawson would have pitched in the big leagues this year had there, had he not gone, gotten hurt. Um, big time stuff. Again, he's super athletic. He's 96 with his fastball. He's got a, was throwing a really good slider in, in instructs last year. And uh, apparently he, he shelved it in the, um, the fall league because it was putting too much pressure on his elbow. He's, you know, more of a fastball curveball changeup. He's throwing that slider is kind of that fourth pitch, that extra weapon because his other two pitches are a little bit inconsistent. He's got a good curveball. Um, when he's on, he kind of reminds me a lot of, of Ian Kennedy. Like I'm really bad at player comps, but with his fastball and curveball combination, the way he'd throw it, um, with his delivery, he just re- there's just something about him that reminded me a little bit of Ian Kennedy. And I'm like to talk about like good Ian Kennedy when he was like at his peak with the Diamondbacks and even a little bit of the Padres when he was striking out like 200 guys a year. Um, I kind of got always got that vibe from him. I don't know why I just closed my eyes and I, and I can see him. And he's a California kid. He's from, from the high desert from Victorville. So a little bit of a Southern California tie. If you, if you want to call it that, if you want to call Victorville and acknowledge us, Southern California, um, and then Tuca Peter Marcano, again, pretty easy guy to, to protect. Um, really good infielder. He's been playing some left field in trucks. So you got a guy that can play all around the diamond, left-handed bat. The thing with him is he's, he's very, like, skinny. Um, supposedly he's got up to about 170 pounds. But when you look at his slugging percentage and his, like, iso power, um, the guy is basically a slap hitter. doesn't hit the ball with a lot of velocity. But his bat control is, is phenomenal. It's... I mean, I don't know what his hit tool is, but his contact tool, at least being able to make contact, is, is above average. And he's someone that theoretically could, could, could make the big leagues next year as kind of a, a utility type. Maybe even a kind of a, a poor man's Cronenworth, aside from the fact that he doesn't pitch, um, where he could just, you know, he can get on base, he can hit a little bit. If he can fill out a little bit and develop some power, I think he could be an everyday guy. But he's absolutely a guy that you protect with all the trades they made kind of in the middle of their farm system, he's definitely a top 10 guy in their system for sure. Yeah, it's uh, – you made an interesting point there that we're talking about where guys are going to fit next year and how they fit on the roster, and these judgments are being made. The organization got to see them work out, but we never got to see them play or anything. So so I, I guess in a way you say they know better than we do, but it's just interesting that – you're coming off of the, the the most they got to see these guys was instructs as far as going against any sort of competition. And, and that's a very short yeah. window. Uh, it's it's kind of like a, a late extended spring training. And a lot of these guys weren't in the player pool, so they weren't at USD. Um, so it was kind of a late rush to see who's, who's developed and who's, who's getting better and who's worth keeping around. It's a really – uh, I guess the scouts in the front office are, are earning their salt right now. Yeah, and, and I think you know they they still have data from 2019, and I think the guys and you can really tell kind of where guys' standing and value was in the organization by who they allocated because they only had 60 spots. So ultimately, they took in their top picks this year, like a Robert Hassel. You, you're coming right out of the draft. You want to get him into the system and and start trying to develop him the best you can in a normal summer. He would go to, um, 
go to Arizona and go into the AZL, and then maybe he gets a cup of coffee with the short season team, and you get him ready to go for 2020 to go to, to low A. Um, and then, you know, Justin Lang, who they took, eventually made his way out there, and then Blake Hunt. Reggie Lawson recovering absolutely would have been in that 60-man pool throwing games. Um, but when you, when you went further down this list, because um, there was some debate, and I think the biggest debate over who would get a spot was Tierso Ornelas, uh, power-hitting outfielder uh, yeah. who spent last year in Lake Elsinore. And he wasn't anybody – he wasn't a guy that ever was added to this pool. So I think what that told me is that there's probably not a path to putting him on the 40-man roster, especially because it's full. Now, the Padres, I think, are going to make some lesser trades from that player pool very soon because looking at the composition of their 40-man, they have like 24 of their 40 spots are pitchers. They only have – they have the three catchers, but they really don't have a lot of – they only have five outfielders on the 40-man right now, which is not a lot. Um, so I think theoretically we could see three or four of those pitchers moved in smaller deals. A guy like a Taylor Williams who they got last year or Dan Altavia, um, somebody like that. But with Tierso, I think he had a really bad year in 2019 with, with like Elsinore. Um, and in my personal belief, I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to say hindsight's 2020, but he didn't get a ton of at bats the year before in Fort Wayne, and he was super young. And I think it may have may have behooved him to stay in Fort Wayne and play at a lower level for a little bit longer. But they they like to push their guys, and there's nothing wrong with that. And he went out into Lake Elsinore, and he didn't hit really well. Some of the initial reports were that like his his swing mechanics got messed up, which was affecting his bat speed, which was affecting his ability to make hard contact and to really turn on the ball. His walk rate, you know, his eye at the plate, which has been one of the biggest, um, the really the biggest strengths that he's had is the fact that this kid's always putting up like double digit walk rates in the AZL. He's putting up a double digit walk rate in in, in Fort Wayne. He's super impressive. Great approach to that plate. That all that whole part's all intact. And the kid, like, I mean, I've seen him in, like, Elsinore a bunch last year. He's in fantastic shape. Like, he, he's a workout fiend. Like, this guy is in, in just – he's you know, he's just built. And you can tell he's putting the work in there. But he's just not a guy, I think, right now that, that the organization can put on the 40-man roster. And I, and I think when you're looking at what is the likelihood of him getting taken in, in the draft and the Rule 5, I don't think it's very high because he's not a center fielder. Like I don't think he can play center field. And typically when you take a guy in the rule five, you want him to be about as big league ready as he can be with maybe some positional flexibility. You see a lot of guys that are position players that either are, have some loud tool, whether it's power or it's speed or it's defense and Tirso's loud tool. Well, he doesn't really have a loud tool, but his loudest tool I would say is kind of his approach at the plate. And so I think that is ultimately the reason why he got left off the roster is I feel like his exposure in the rule five is not that great personally. Yeah. I mean, it's the risk you're taking and someone was going to have to be exposed. And and I I agree that when you're looking at the, the rule five portion, you're looking at someone who has to be, assigned to that roster the whole year. So you're looking for an outfielder. You're looking for versatility and some pop. And he, he doesn't quite have that profile yet where you're looking for, uh, you know, someone to go to a higher level, the minors or go to that and just bring all that for you. And 
teams don't teams don't necessarily take the risks that we've seen in the past with Rule Five, where they put someone at a higher level they're not really ready for. Um, they definitely don't take them in the major league portion like the Padres did. Yeah. Um, so so for for the the Padres, I think they feel pretty confident with the group they have that they're not going to get taken up to triple a they're not gonna get taken up to the majors yeah i i I would have a hard time seeing anybody unless you look at the teams that are drafting at the top of that of the rule five which are going to be the pirates and the rangers um unless they have them scouted pretty well i don't think any of their teams are going to be able to devote a roster spot for 162 games, assuming there is 162 games, of course, to a guy that really, in my opinion, has almost no no chance of contributing at the big league level. What the Padres will likely do is I think they can have they can put him on the AAA roster. They can I think have 37 guys on the reserve roster. What that does is it takes him out of the minor league uh, the minor league portion of the draft, where the minor league portion of the draft in the Rule Five means that if you take that player, he is yours. There is no roster restrictions. You pay the, I want to say it's like 20 grand or whatever it is. And that player, you he belongs to your organization. So the Padres will probably prevent that from happening. Um, last year in the Rule 5 draft, and really the only guy they, la- they lost in the Rule 5 since A.J. Preller has been the general manager, um, in the big league portion of the draft was Trevor Miguel, who is a reliever, and they lost another reliever in the minor league portion of the draft, so they'd sign as a minor league free agent. I, the guy's name escapes me right now. It's not important because he's just not a guy that we need to really talk about. So I, I think right. the likelihood of him getting selected is, is not there. And you can go down the list of other guys like Yordi Barley, zero chance of being added. Um, some of the other, you know, the other pitchers that they had in the organization, um, you know, uh, Evan Miller, Darius Valdez, who project, project as relievers, probably not a great chance of them getting taken, especially with no minor league season. Um, so those, I mean, I think the Padres made the right moves, in my opinion. Would I have been upset if they left off Mason Thompson? Not really. I, I, th- I think the the moves they made seemed pretty sound. Yeah, I mean – like we talked about with the trades, there's going to be arguments for the sake of arguing because that's just what we do on Twitter. But um, I can understand Thompson being on there and, and why they did what they did for sure. Now, real quick, just to kind of end on this note, because we're kind of baseball is kind of the dumbest sport when it comes to like free agency and it comes to player personnel moves. Um, you've taken a look at really with the way that the COVID has impacted sports is we have the NBA draft this week, which means now you have NBA free agency. And NBA free agency has been, I mean, it's been a flurry of moves. I'm not a huge NBA guy, mainly because I don't have a team. So it's like, I don't, I don't just want to pick a team. I don't want to be a Clippers fan. I don't want to be a Lakers fan. I love a lot of the players in the NBA, like just individually. And, but I feel like that's a, it's a hard way to watch the game. I don't know, but you see the flurry of moves that the NBA has made where, you know, guys are, are signing, you know, Gordon Hayward got a huge contract today from the Hornets and you saw a bunch of trades. The Lakers went out and got um, Harrell from the Clippers, which is a pretty big move. And Ibaka tonight signed with the Clippers, which is a pretty big move. But you see this flurry of activity. As soon as they like press go, it's like bing, bing, bing. And it's kind of like that in the NHL. I think the NHL, there wasn't really any sexy names this year where you're just like, oh, wow, like, you know, this guy switched teams. You know, there's no Connor McDavid or 
that type of superstar out there. And then you get to baseball and it's like, well, Hey, free agency opens today, but you know, we're just going to kind of hang out and hit Robbie Ray's going to sign a, a deal and that's cool. But there's been no trades of significance. There's been no signings and, you know, baseball opened up at its normal time of the year, which was the beginning of November um, is when free agency started. And we're sitting here on November, November 20th, 21st, whatever date it is. I can't keep track. And we still don't have any big free agents off the books. It's very anticlimactic. So what I kind of wanted to look at is how do the Padres fill that rotation? What do they need to do? Can they is do, you know, we, we already know who we all want. We want, and Oh, I shouldn't say that. Cause a lot of people, Trevor Bauer is, is the consensus number one player out there. Bar none. He is the best pitcher and arguably the best player. You, you, you we could debate about George Springer, but it's futile. Nobody cares. Trevor Bauer instantly it's it's like getting Clevenger again, and maybe even better because I think Bauer is probably a better pitcher at this point. Um, do you, you feel like he's a realistic option for the Padres going into next season? Only if he holds true to his belief and promise that of signing short-term deals, and if the market is so damaged by the labor strife and COVID and everything combined, yes, I think that he could be that guy. So do you read – are you a fan of MLBTradeRumors.com? Do you, do you read it? Um, I'm not on there very much, okay. but, but I, I, know, I well, know you should it. be because it's a great website. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they have kind of their – they do this thing every year, and they have a contest, and you can actually – um, open it up and, and you can make predictions and you can potentially win prizes. Um, I just do it because it's fun. And I, I kind of like to see how I do, even though, you know, if you're lucky, you maybe you hit like eight or 10 of these guys because there's 50. And so they have Trevor Bauer projected their prediction. And, and there's some guys they've been really right on. And there's been in terms of money, and I don't think you can really predict a team, but if you can predict a contract, right, they have Trevor Bauer at, their prediction, and I'll tell you who they're who he's projected to sign with or predicted to sign with. He's at four years, 128 million is what they think he's going to get. Would you give him that deal if you're the Padres? I mean, he's what 30 right now. Um, uh, yes, he's 30 in January, so he'll be 30 at the start of 2021. You know, it, it's his prime years. Um, my hang-up with any sort of financial commitment involving the Padres is how does it impact extending Tatis? I would feel so much better about everything else if we had a concrete figure on Tatis. But yeah, the Padres have to have, I guess, at least a ballpark idea of that. So if they feel comfortable with that idea, I mean, prime years of Bauer, let's say it is four years. So – you're committing four years to Bauer, and then you've got you got Lamet for the foreseeable future as a as a one two punch that you feel pretty confident on. You're hoping that in two years Clevenger makes your rotation a little crowded. Um, I mean, to me, out of Morahone, Gore, and Patino. If they all develop into frontline starters, great. But the odds of that are not great. They're, they're not great odds. So if you have a Cy Young winner who, not much in the way of health issues, as long as he's staying away from flying drones. Yeah, right. Um, 
pretty good mechanics from what I see. I mean, better mechanics than Clevenger. Um, just a pure top pitcher, a guy you put in the same league as DeGrom and all these guys. Um, I don't see why you, why you don't. Um, I, I I just – obviously the, the money, it will come down to it, – it's an ownership decision at that point. But from a front office decision, yeah. Here's the issue with baseball and, and predict and prediction is we don't – like you said, and you said it perfectly, we don't know how this impacts probably what the number one thing we all want to see happen, which is – Aside from winning a ring, obviously, is can the Padres keep Tatis long-term? And I think ultimately they can. I really do believe that they are going to do everything in their power to, to keep him a Padre for as long as they can. I, I really I really believe that. And I would have – if it wasn't this ownership group, I would have – I would be like, dude, he's gone. Trade him now. You might as well just get rid of him now because we'll never be able to keep him. Um, at four years and $128 million, I'm doing that deal all day. That is really – a pretty, I wouldn't say it's a bargain, but for not having to give a guy. And I think teams are a little bit smarter with how they pay some guys in their thirties, where if you look at how it's played out as the guys are getting these 10 year deals or the, the Manny's and the Bryce Harper's that are hitting free agency at 25, 26 and not at 31, 32. So not knowing how that impacts other moves, because there's no salary cap where we can look at it. If it's the NFL and go, okay, well, you know, we want the Cardinals to, to sign this player and we know that they have 15 million in cap room. So if we give this guy 11, but we still need a left tackle. Oh, yeah. Maybe that doesn't make sense to do that. Maybe we get a guy that's cheaper to fill that, fill that void so that we can have kind of a deeper roster with baseball. We don't really know what the Padres ceiling is. Like we, we think that their payroll right now is somewhere around 120 and ended up at 150 million last year, I believe was what it was pre COVID. And, I don't think that this team coming off the move they just made where Ron Fowler is out, which we didn't really cover. And I don't think we really need to cover it because I don't really think it matters at the end of the day. Um, Peter Seiler just paid out Ron Fowler. I don't know how much that was. So that tells me this organization's got cash, even in a, in a, in a situation where I would assume they lost money last year, but I, I have no idea. We don't know what, what the books are. I think the Padres are in a precarious position where if, if they get Bauer, then you can look at next year as kind of another development year for some of these young guys. And now all of a sudden you have a Mackenzie Gore coming into that as your four with maybe Paddock as your five with Clevenger, some version of a, of Clevenger coming back where he doesn't have to be that ace. You have Bauer, you have Lamette, then you have Patini, you have Weathers, you have Morahone. By that point, you have mm-hmm. Reggie Lawson. You're going to have more depth. And, and, you know, even by 2022, maybe you have Cole, Cole Wilcox, you know, kind of knocking on the door a little bit where right. you're going to have some options. And I think having Bauer for 2021, I feel like you, I feel like that makes you feel like you can compete with the Dodgers next year. And I think that's why that move, if, if they can get Bauer at that price, now I don't know if that, that price is going to be. You know, maybe it's two hundred million, or maybe he wants a one-year, forty-five million-dollar deal. You know, we talked; he's talked about in the past whether he's serious or not. Um, now, if you do bring in Bauer, does that mean you have now? Do you does that mean you have to non-tender Tommy Pham to make the numbers work? Um, which I am not in favor of. I think they hundred. I would one hundred percent bet on Tommy Pham next year. 
in a contract year where that guy wants to get paid. He's an older guy. That's his one tr- chance at really getting a multi-year big payday. He's going to come out and he's going to ball next year, in my opinion. So I don't want to get rid of him. But I also wouldn't mind bringing in Profar or some type of an equivalent. But I think, okay, let's just say Bauer is off. Now, in this, MLB Trade Rumors is projecting him to sign with the Dodgers, which would be a nightmare. Um, yeah, that rotation with Kershaw, uh, Bueller, and Bauer, you know, plus May, Gonsolin, and some of the other guys they have would be almost unfair. Like, it would just you, – you would go into next season like, okay, I guess it's wild card or bust because I don't know if the Padres can overtake that. But if it's flipped and Bowers on the Padres, now you feel like, okay, like if we get another piece or two, this could be a team that could uh, wreak havoc in, in, in the West. Yeah. And, you know, personally for me, what I know of Trevor Bauer, I think he's a terrible cultural fit for the Dodgers. Um, I just don't think he fits into what they're doing. And I think he's actually a very good. To an extent, I think there's parts of him that are very good cultural fit for the Padres because the Padres are a team that could use it's, – it's hard to say they could use more swagger, but they can use more swagger because when you're trying to, to take down Goliath, you can use some Absolutely. swagger. Yeah, and I, and I think just he's obviously – he's the best pitcher that they could get. There's no – and yeah, who else is going to be available? I mean, the Dodgers aren't going to trade Bueller to the Padres. You know, that would be a great pitcher to get, obviously. But when you start looking further down the list – um, and, and these are the projected deals. These, these are just predictions. This is not what they're going to get. They could get more. They could get less. Charlie Morton um, is down the, down the road. He's uh, 37 years old, projected at one year, $8 million. Uh, this MLB trade rumors prediction has him signing with the Mets. Um, pretty good year. You know, last year, um, he, his peripherals were, um, not their best that he could have had, but it's a shortened season. He's a little bit older. Um, I think he would be a really interesting fit at one year, eight million. If the Padres could get that deal done. Um, the other guy who's down here on the list, and I'll probably get, you know, just crushed for this because I, I think he, I think it's interesting is John Lester. Uh, John Lester pitched with the Cubs last year. Uh, he's projected in this scenario to sign with the Braves which they just signed Drew Smiley, so maybe he goes elsewhere. But they have him at one year, $5 million. Now, John Lester, the reason why he interests me is if you look at the last uh, – going back to 2016, 202 innings, 180, 181, 171, 12 starts, 61 innings last year and in the abbreviated season. Um, his overall numbers weren't, weren't the best. Um, finished with a 5.16 ERA. Um, with a 5.14 FIP. So we know that he wasn't great. ERA plus is at 86. So he's below average last year. But with the thing with him is he's going to give you innings. And I think for a young team, a young rotation that potentially could have two or three rookies in it at times, I think having a guy like him who, and I, I still think he's got some, some good baseball left in him. I know he's been a decent mid rotation starter the last few years with the Cubs. You're not going to get the Cy Young type of pitcher that he was um, when he was with Boston and, and his early, you know, his early tenure at the Cubs, like in, in 2016, when he had a 2.44 ERA in 200 innings. You're not getting that guy. He's not that guy anymore. But I think 
for a rotation that needs some stability, he's a guy that at that price, if it's if they, they could get John Lester on a five or six million dollar one year deal, that interests me quite a bit. Yeah, you, you know, you, you you do present a good point. I mean, even when um, even when you look at teams that that win the World Series, teams that go deep into the playoffs, it's not uncommon to have that guy at the end of the rotation who who eats the innings, who's a professional. Who's a leader and a winner, and that, that's what both Morton or Lester would bring. I hate table. the term winner, though. Let's not do that. I like the term winner better than loser. I do too, but uh, when people say that it's just like okay, but like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and granted, in baseball, it's different than basketball, where you, you have that much more influence on the what's going on in the, on the field or on the court. But there are guys who go places and win more than others, and. The, the, the thing with Lester is we saw what happened when you don't have a guy who can eat innings. It's It sucks. It's scary. <laughs> so that's definitely something to think about. Um, John Lester shares my passion for Miller Lite in a very cool way, and he gave a whole bunch away in Chicago, so that was very nice of him. Um, if Charlie Morton's going to make $8 million, that's about the same as Robbie Ray, and Robbie Ray's broken. So – that's that's a very interesting thing to consider because you know Morton's not going to set the world on fire, but he's going to be good. He's probably going to be at least pretty good. Yeah, and I think neither none of these guys are going to set the world on fire. But I, I don't. I think assuming that Lament is healthy, I don't know if you need to sign a huge upside guy. I'd rather have a guy that I know that is going to be able to go out there then do what they've done in the past and sign a Garrett Richards who, hey, at one time this guy had great stuff, but we, we, he's not healthy. I would rather having some stability because the other guy who actually is in their rankings predicted to sign with the Padres, and I think you can think of it. Think of a free agent pitcher that is kind of on the downswing that is projected to sign for the Padres. Who do you think I could be talking about? I'll let you guess. On the, on the downswing? Yeah. That was good, isn't so good anymore, but makes sense for the Padres theoretically. Are we talking an old yes. guy? Cole Hamels. Uh, well, Cole Hamels, it's the San Diego thing, like Jason Kendall, where Cole Hamels has been destined to be a but Padre But I don't feel forever. like Cole Hamels, like, he doesn't even live in San Diego. I don't think he, like, I don't, I think people put two and two together. And they're like, oh, well, he's from San Diego, so he loves it. Well, he, I don't think he, I don't think he lives here. Um, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know there was that thing a few years ago where he bought some big ass house in Texas and then ended up donating it for like, I don't know exactly what it was for, but it was a really cool gesture. It was like, I think it might have been, for, I don't know. I'll have to look that up, and I don't want to speculate. But he basically donated a house for charity, which was cool. Yeah. Didn't give yeah. it to me, uh, but um, you know he. he Last year, he signed a one-year, eighteen million dollar deal with the, with the with the Braves, and he pitched in one start, and that was it. And so he's thirty-seven. Um, he's going to go into next year as a thirty-seven-year-old pitcher, and I don't feel like that's a guy that you can count on for innings because he just basically missed this whole year. Now, obviously, COVID is a weird thing, um, you know. So I I don't know in which direction they go. Um, but he's probably a guy that unless it was like a dirt cheap deal, I'd probably would avoid because I just don't know what you're going to get from him at this point. Um, 
And I, I think they need somebody. They need at least one guy that you know is going to give you some stability. And I think that's why Lester, to me, is interesting. It's not a big upside play, but I, I think he still has the ability to be effective. The other guy that's on this list that's kind of towards the end is Chris Archer, who, again, I felt like in the beginning when A.J. Preller, you know, somewhere around 2016, 17, whatever that was happening, the Padres were really heavily rumored on Archer, and he ended up getting traded to the Pirates, which is going to go down as could be one of the worst trades in the history of, like, Pirates baseball, where they gave up Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass now, and Shane Baz, who was their number one pick that year, who's pretty close to being in the big leagues himself for a broken Chris Archer. Now, that could be interesting as well, but again, he's a guy that's also been banged up the last few years too. Yeah, I'm reluctant to, to even think about that. He's He's been so yeah. broken. Again, to me, it's all what the, what the money is. Archer, in this scenario, is projected to get one year $4 million and sign with the Cubs in their predictions one year, 4 million, 4 million, isn't what 4 million used to be. 4 million is a utility guy. Um, a, you know, a decent utility guy, not even a great one um, in the free agent market. When it's free agency, you're always going to overpay, which is why teams you're seeing so many teams, put such, such an emphasis on, uh, on younger players um, in developing them. Yeah. You know, Cause you think about even a guy like broken Chris Paddock, who's projected to make the minimum next year, the Padres non-tendered him, there'd be a bidding war for his services and he'd probably get a few million, I would imagine. Like he would get a, a good contract or, you know, people would, people would want it. Um, you know, Corey Kluber's another guy that's out there. I don't know if I want to touch a guy that didn't throw a pitch last year. I don't think the Padres, they need stability. They don't need to go out for these, you know, these high risk, potentially high rewards. I mean, Garrett Richards is out there. I think that ship has sailed. I don't think – I don't know what it was with Garrett Richards. I thought it was weird that they took him out of the rotation in the first place. Um, he had a couple of really bad outings in the middle of the year. But when you look at the overall numbers, I mean, they weren't terrible. I mean, they, they could have done a lot worse. Um, you know, and what, we, what you saw in the playoffs was the Padres had Zach Davies, and that was it. They had no – you know, they, they started Adrian Marajone, who they knew – couldn't give them more than 35, 40 pitches over Chris Paddock. And I think that kind of shows you where his, the confidence in the organization is on him right now. I think there's still a lot to be desired there. So, um, yeah, I, 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 and you know, they could go the trade route. They could, they could trade for a guy like, you know, there's been some Joe Musgrove people again, make that local connection. He's from my alma mater, Grossmont high. And then, it would be kind of dope to see a Grossmont player pitch for the Padres. That's never happened. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's never happened. Um, what's up? I don't think it has. I Not can't think Grossmont. of anyone. I mean, from East County, um, they had a Hayden Penn. If, I want to say that was 2012. And Hayden Penn went to Santana and he pitched a handful of games for the Padres. I think that's the only East County guy, East County guy I can remember pitching. Obviously, Greg Garcia, but. And I think there was – and Sean O'Sullivan, too, actually. That's another East County guy. Um, he went to Valhalla, but he wasn't a foothiller. And we care about foothillers. And, you know, Stephen Brault is another foothiller uh, that is out there with the Pirates. Both have some decent trade value. It would be kind of fun to see both those guys get traded to the Padres. More from a PR standpoint, but Joe Musgrove has always been a solid mid-rotation pitcher. And I think if they could sign – if they could get, like, a guy like him and then throw John Lester in there – with the healthies Davies, with Lamette, with Paddock, 
with Gore Patino and everybody. That's not that's not terrible. I mean, it's not as good as it would be if Clevenger was in there, but like that's a pretty you know above average rotation, I would say. Yeah, they just need that extra piece or two where you're not relying on on development to to make this happen. Yeah, and I and I think the way I've I, I looked at it too is like my concern is like Adrian Morahone is the guy the next guy that I think is gonna take a leap. I, I think he did a really great job this year. Um when he was out there. His stuff looked fantastic. The problem with him is he pitched I think seventeen innings this year, maybe a little bit more than that. He's never thrown more than sixty innings in a professional season. So you can't in all good faith expect him to go out next year and give you 150 innings. It's not gonna happen. But I think you can get 80, 90 out of him. And then if you can get 80, 90 out of Patino and do some type of piggyback system where you maybe you, you have to option guys down here and there to you know and send them down for the ten day requirement. You, Weathers, I think, has pitched himself into that mix. And you still have Mackenzie Gore, who I still think is the best pitcher in the Padres system, bar none. Um, I Obviously, I'm, I don't know what happened this year. There was some rumors that he – and everything I heard about Mackenzie Gore's second and third hand, where his velocity was down a little bit and he was getting hit hard by guys. Um, don't know what that's, what that's about but I'm not ready to write that guy off by any means. And I don't think the organization is either. So you could almost look at that fifth starter rotation and maybe they go to six starters that, that fifth, sixth spot in the rotation, I think is almost going to have to be like a collaborative effort of multiple guys. And you could even throw Joey Lucchese in the mix. Um, although I think his stock is down big time, but I think that's kind of how they're going to approach the rotation next year where I think you could easily see like 13, 14 guys start for the Padres next year and not necessarily be a bad thing that things are going terribly with injuries. Yeah. Uh, uh, six starters is definitely not outside the realm for what they want to do uh, with, with so many kids involved. And, and like you said, it's, it's a 10 day wait. So you have to have a, uh, a pretty steady cycle. It almost feels like what they did uh, a few years ago with, with Brett Kennedy and, um, Jacob Nix, except we're talking to do it to contend, not to develop. But Weathers is, is definitely in that picture, and the other the other kids are in that picture. And um, you have to almost think about moving a guy between the bullpen and a few spot starts, like a Matt Strom or someone that can um, kind of keep that role down as well. But um, it makes sense for where they're at. Uh, like you said, with Maura Hone, the stuff was phenomenal, but – and every everyone just kept waiting for that day that he go out there and give you six, and it, it just they never wanted to do it. And I understand why, but it just it never happened. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens there. We have a lot to talk about today. We the, the last podcast that we did, we went well, like an hour and a half, and so we're already at like you know like seventy seventy five minutes here. So I think, do you want to do you want to split this thing up? Do you want to keep going tonight? Well, so let's let's take a break. Let's we'll split, split it. it. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna call this this is this is the Padres episode. We did all our Padres talk, and I think we still have some some other talk that we want to get to. And I'm gonna split that up. So what we're gonna do right now is is we're gonna call this our Padres episode. We'll we'll get out of here on that. We'll take a quick break. Maybe maybe go take a dump. Do whatever we gotta do, and we're gonna come back with the rest of the podcast. What we want to talk about there is gonna be we're gonna talk about minor league shuffle. Uh, talk about how that's going to stack up. And we're going to talk about some more unsports things. I think we want to talk. I, I actually want to kind of interview Mark about 
um, kind of a, a new enterprise he has entered. Is it a new enterprise? It, it, it was a temporary one. To I mean, there's a little bit of on the side, but as far as doing it full time, it was a it was a a necessary temporary. All right, fix. we're we're gonna get into that. So for right now, we are gonna go ahead and, and hop out of here. Um, if you guys like this, um, we are on all the major podcasting services now, I believe. So that's Spotify, that's Apple, iTunes, podcast, whatever the hell it's called. You've got Google Play. So like, what I recommend is hit the subscribe button. Um, our goal is to release an episode every week-ish. Um, we haven't been the most consistent, but you know we're here now. So um, check it out. We're going to put out two episodes this week. So hopefully Leisure Fire 6 is in his ear thingies and and gives us an A++ podcast. I don't think he even knows we have a podcast yet. So maybe I'll tweet this. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we, we can get him a lot of miles here right now. So hopefully he starts I mean, we're out. pretty – I'll be honest. Like, I'm not super comfortable promoting it and just throwing it out there and, like, trying to be up people's ass about it. But we could probably do a little bit more to promote it. Um, so if you like it, like, when I post the links or Mark posts the links, give us a retweet. Give us a subscribe. I don't know if there's a way for me to, to know who's subscribing to it, but if you are subscribing to it, hit me up on Twitter. Say, hey, even if you think we suck, just tell me that we suck. And some feedback is better than no feedback. You're, I'm eliciting an emotion to you, and hatred is an emotion. It's a powerful emotion. So if you think we're terrible, let us have it. If you think we're good, cool. I think that's fair. And uh, merch suggestions would be greatly yeah, appreciated. Yeah, we're going to start a line of merch and the goal is to take this to Patreon um, so that uh, we can buy um, a, a professional recording studio. And so what we can do is that we, we can fly to each other's, uh, you know, to each other's area, obviously post-COVID when the vaccine hits and all that good stuff. And we can record in person and maybe uh, have a private jet. That would be pretty dope with merch and yeah. Patreon. And I want to, I want to bitch in uh, shotgun Tom hat. So if you make that happen, yeah. So really hit cool. the subscribe button. Let's go ahead and finish that. We'll talk to you guys later. My name is Kevin Charity, and what's your name over there? You big tall yeti. Uh, Mark Williams. All right, this is bound for disappointment. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>